Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, good to be here. Hallelujah. Uh, Pastor Bill did a great job last week introducing our Christmas series on Malachi. Not your typical Christmas series, but hey, <laughs> it is uh, appropriate in that it is the book that precedes the story of the coming of our Lord Jesus and the Gospels, and um, it really sets the stage for the New Testament. And uh, so I'm going to continue jumping right in. Uh, The commentary that we're all kind of referencing is published by Tyndall. It actually says that Malachi pictures divine judgment as both punishment for sin and a call to repentance. Uh, The goal of God's judgment always is purification and restoration of the faithful in Israel. And so this was true for the people of Israel uh, 2,000 plus, 2,500 years ago, (laughs) thousands of years ago, and it's true for us today. And so when when bad circumstances happen to your life, God wants to use those hard, difficult, challenging circumstances to bring us to repentance, all right? as well as calling us into purification, sanctification, and restoration. That's his goal. And um, as I said, Bill did a great job giving that overview of Malachi and identifying this um, uh, outline, basically, of the book. Last week, he also covered the first two of the primary disputes or challenges or topics that Uh, Malachi addresses, so last week he covered right understanding and right worship. Today I'm going to try to get through chapter 2, pray for me, (laughs) and discuss right marriage relationships as well as right community relationships. And then next week, um, I believe Kathy's going to be speaking on the final uh, two disputes of right giving and right relationships. So let's let's jump in. I like that this section of Malachi Um, kind of there's a pivot where Malachi kind of turns from being the prophet to the pastor. And what that means is that he begins to address some uh, uh, more personal issues in the lives of his hearers, uh, speaking into marriage, speaking into relationships. He ties the biblical motifs of covenant faithfulness. It's a big idea here. Tying the big picture idea of covenant faithfulness and blessing and the messianic hope so that the Jews at this time literally for thousands of years had been putting all of their hope on the coming Messiah, the deliverer. Uh, and he ties that, um, uh, that hope as well as the covenant blessings and faithfulness to uh, the faithlessness in his people. All right. And pointing out some really glaring contradictions in their lifestyle, in their society, that contradicts what they were hoping for. All right? So faithlessness in our relationships with others, listen to this, faithlessness with our, in relationship with others is a violation of our covenant with God. We need to recognize that. How we treat others is how we treat God. You want to know what your relationship with God is like? Really? Look at what your relationship with other people are like. 
Because, you know, you can, you can fantasize about a relationship with God that's totally separated from reality, but how you deal with one another, how you do with people in your life, difficult people, good people, reveals what's really going on in your heart. And uh, when we treat other people wrongfully or treacherously, as Malachi uses that term frequently, it brings a curse instead of a blessing. Brings a curse into our lives instead of blessing. And it actually changes that hope for a Messiah into impending doom. All right? If you're hoping for a Messiah, but you're not on his side when he comes, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. And that's why Malachi comes across so harsh and so strong. You're like, wow, this is tough. Yeah, because he was living in a day where people were living contrary to the blessings of God, contrary to the covenant of God, and they didn't realize it. And he needed to wake them up. Let me tell you, if they were deceived then, we're a thousand times more today. So Malachi 2, 10 through 12. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this thing, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So in this passage, there's a real emphasis on one, oneness. There's one father, okay, one God. And then he says, why do you deal treacherously with one another? So... The, the idea that we worship one God and there was one creator, but in our relationships with one another, there's strife and division. He's saying that doesn't fit people. There's, there's, a, there's a problem there. <clears throat> division and strife between people, interpersonal strife, reveals a massive disconnect with God who is one. And in the New Testament, we see the, the Trinity revealed in much better clarity, although it's throughout the whole Old Testament too, that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, exist eternally in perfect unity. Okay, to the point where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, why? Because he was so in unity with the Father in everything, every thought, word, and deed. He only did what he saw the Father do. He's in complete unity. And the prophet is saying, listen, you can't live it with division and strife interpersonally and say that you're connected wholly to a unified God. It reveals a massive disconnect, and that is treacherous. Okay, the word treacherous can also be translated faithless. There's actually a lack, not only an a lack, but the antithesis of faithfulness is this treachery, this faithlessness, this betrayal. And so <clears throat> acting treacherously or faithless or, 
or, or, or, or in division and strife with animosity toward others is a direct betrayal with our relationship with, with God. Right? And the New Testament reflects this so clearly. Uh, John says, anyone who says he loves God but in fact hates his brother or sister is a liar. Let's just stop and pause on that promise of Scripture there. <laughs> you, know, you say, well, I don't hate my brother or sister, but I hate that person over there. Or I hate those people in that political party. Or I can't stand those people who keep doing... You know, if you get emotionally aggravated when a people group or someone with ideas that are contrary to you, even if they're wrong, okay, even if they're, they're evil, if, huh? those people are always wrong. We're never wrong. And that's why we can stand up here in judgment. John says, if you say, oh, I love God, I love God, I sing songs in church about how much I love God, but you treat others with contempt, or you don't even notice they're there, okay, you're a liar. Anytime you want to kick me out, just start throwing things at me. <laughs> he continues, says, Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. He's like, wow, he's, he's pulling all of the punches here. Or rather, he's not pulling any of the punches. He's laying it out that there has been a horrendous treachery in the nation of Israel. And when he says that, that's the people of God. And in, in our day, that's us. Okay? It's all who follow Jesus. He says, there's been treachery and an abomination. What is this? He says, Judah, which is the people of God, has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord, this is the consequence of that behavior, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware. In other words, they do it knowingly. Yet, who brings an offering to the Lord. In other words, the prophet's going, how can this person who knowingly violated one of the core commands and principles of unity with the holiness of God actually come and offer an offering to God while he's living in, in such an abomination and a sin? The prophet's going, how can this be? This is, this is treachery. I love that it says marriage is the holy institution which God loves. You've, you've probably heard that term, the institution of marriage. This is where it's from. It's from this passage. God instituted marriage in the creation account. All right? From the, the very first story. And just let me say a little comment about marriage. <laughs> marriage is great, isn't it? Everyone pauses for a moment. <laughs> The newlyweds yeah. are like, yay, marriage is great. We'd be praying for you, folk. <laughs> marriage is, is designed by God 
to get to your deepest, darkest issues. All right? It's like God designed it so he could reach his hand into the the tiniest crevices of your dark, evil heart, and your heart is evil, the Bible says that, Uh uh and identify the areas where you are irritated by your, using your spouse as that holy instrument of sanctification. Because, you know, other people, you can just leave. You know, you get tired of being around me, you just go home, right? But poor Kathy, when she goes home, I'm there! <laughs> That's why she's sitting way in the back. <laughs> So, but marriage is a holy institution, and there is the ideal, there's the aspiration. You know, people get married, they don't get married thinking they're going to have arguments and fights and, and disagreements and end up getting a divorce. Nobody goes into marriage with that. They, they, they go in with the hope and the ideal. They're going to find their true love. They're going to spend the rest of their life with someone that they can be in unity with. They're going to have kids and have a happy family. You know, and all those things are true and possible, if we deal with the stuff in our hearts properly. But if we try to avoid those, it's going to end up in catastrophe. And what the Israelites were doing was that they were marrying daughters of a foreign god. Now, this is important. that It's not just different ethnicities. Because throughout the Old Testament, there were many leaders in Israel that married different ethnicities. You know, Moses married uh, Zipporah, I think his name was, who was uh, was of African descent, was not a Jew, all right? Uh, Joseph married an Egyptian. Um, uh, uh, Boaz and Ruth, uh, who was actually uh, forefathers of, in the line of Jesus, uh, she was uh, a Gentile, Okay. And so these were Gentiles that had converted to Judaism and were worshiping Jehovah. But these Israelites that Malachi is, are, is addressing are people that just knowingly married someone that worshiped a foreign god and actually calls her daughters of a foreign god. So how can we have one god and one creator and call him father, but then join ourselves in covenant relationship with someone who doesn't worship the same God, but actually worships another God that's not God. Which would be a demon. He's saying, that's, that's, imp- that's, that's, a, that's faithlessness, that's treachery. Okay, it's treachery in a number of ways. It violates the covenant that we have with one God, one creator. It actually says, well, you're one God, but I kind of really like this lady because she's, she's really cute. You know, or, or I like this person because they, they, they love me. What, wait a minute here. There's something, how, how it doesn't work that way. Um, so it violates and it's treachery, it's faithlessness to God. It's actually faithfulness, faithlessness to yourself. It's treacherous to yourself. Uh, the New Testament teaches us that, uh, it, it commands us, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. All right? For what fellowship, 
what communion, what unity does righteousness have with lawlessness? And what, what communion is there, uh, uh, does light have with darkness? And he's talking about marrying and being uh, yoked with non-believers, people who do not serve Jesus. And so it's so important that in your relationships, especially the marriage relationship, the number one priority, and listen, I've heard this like 10 times, in the, well, many times in the last few months about individuals that have a list of these, these are the requirements for my future spouse. You know? And people, including myself, that counsel single people say, you know, my advice is burn that list and replace it with one that they are passionately in love with Jesus and serving him wholeheartedly. That's the only requirement. Because if they don't have that, nothing else matters. All right? <clears throat> don't be unequally yoked. So it's a violation to yourself. And it's a violation of the community of faith. Throughout the Old Testament, we see time and again examples of people intermarrying with pagan uh, and, and the consequences are disastrous for the individuals, disastrous for the community. And that's why the penalty is so harsh in that they, that individual that marries outside of that covenant relationship with God will be cut off. It's basically you're removing yourself from the covenant. And that means you're removing yourself from blessing. In our terminology, that means you lose your ticket to heaven. Ooh. Now, the situations are different. If you come to the Lord uh, when you're already married, it's a whole different category of issues, and it's addressed in the Bible elsewhere. And there's more to say about this, but it's very, very clear that our relationships with others, especially our spouse, need to reflect our covenant relationship with God. Amen? Okay, Malachi uh, 2.13, it says, And this is the second thing you do, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regret the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Why, God? Why, God, don't you receive this offering? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did, uh, but did he not make them one, referring to the creation and Adam and Eve and, I believe, unity of a, a, a man and, a, and his wife in marriage, they become one person, <clears throat> having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. This is repeated twice in this, in this section. Take heed to your spirit. Watch what you're doing to your spirit. And let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Okay, so the first way where they were violating the covenant was marrying uh, uh, daughters of foreign gods, marrying non-believers, marrying people that worshipped pagan uh, religions. And the second way was, was divorce, divorcing their, 
their, the, the spouse that was Jewish, that was a worshiper of Jehovah. And this is covenant language that Malachi is using when he says that God was a witness. All right? In the biblical covenant, it's the duty of the witness not only to testify, yes, they made that covenant, but to enforce the terms of the covenant. All right? So God, when they became married, he heard that, that covenant that they made to one another to, to, to be faithful, to forsake all others uh, in every way and, and, and love in that unique way of marriage, just you. And when you violate that promise, God then as witness is the one who enforces the consequences of breaking the covenant. Right? It's serious business. Right? How can we hope to appeal for God? And that's what the whole first part of that passage is. Why are you crying and, and asking God why, why, when you're living in a way that is forsaken and treated treacherously your spouse from your youth? Right? Don't you realize that God is enforcing? He's doing what you want Him to do. Right? He's being your judge. Right? We want to judge when the judge comes in and, and we think we're innocent to protect us from people who have violated us. But you know what? God's going to be the judge and protect those who we are violating when we are lacking innocence, even though we may think we're innocent. And it's all their fault. It's all their fault. <laughs> so here God is, or Malachi is addressing men divorcing their wives. In that day, women didn't have the power. There was, that wasn't even an option. But in, uh, I'm in their day. In our day, it's different, isn't it? The principles are universal and apply both to men and women. And if a woman violates the marriage covenant or a man violates the marriage covenant, uh, and if it ends in divorce, which is the legal separation, or any aspect of that violation, that faithlessness, it brings a judgment against you. And there's three terms. It's really important. That, uh, in fact, two of these terms are only used here in Malachi. And the first is uh, your companion or partner. Um, and it's actually an architectural term for the joining of uh, basically pieces of wood. And so when I was young, I wanted to be a woodworker because my grandfather was an amazing uh, a woodworker. He would build these amazing pieces of furniture, of which my house is actually quite full of. <laughs> he would take scrap lumber. Uh, he worked for, at that time, for the uh, Flint Public Schools, and they specialized in throwing things away. <laughs> Seriously, it was amazing. We went to work with him a couple of times, and it was like he would go through the junk pile and pull out pieces of good wood because he knew good wood. You know, and his, his garage, it was actually a barn, was filled with all these remnants of wood. And he'd pick out the right piece and another piece, and he'd sand it and plane it and then join it. And there's a whole trade called joining, you know, uh, is that how you say it? Joining? Joinery. Joinery. 
And, and sometimes on the, on the internet, I look at really intricate joinery. You do too? Okay, I thought I, I, thought I must be the only one, all right? Because it's like, it's like amazing how they fit these pieces of wood together. And do you know that a properly joined uh, joint is actually stronger than the board not joined? It, it's stronger, it can resist more, and it's much more functional. Okay, you can make a box or a drawer or a house if the woods are joined, but if it's just a board, all you got is a board. <laughs> but when you two join boards together in the right way, they're stronger and they're more functional. And guess what? That is the image of marriage. Taking two people, cutting them, sanding them, <laughs> shaping them to fit together so that they're stronger and they're more functional. It is a great term. Huh, need to work that into a wedding ceremony. <laughs> a wife by cut. You don't want to quote Malachi, though, on wedding ceremonies. <laughs> wife by covenant. This is another term only used in, in Malachi. It means being joined to your wife uh, or to your spouse. It's, it's a covenant relationship. And covenant's not like, a, like we have contracts. A contract is if either party violates the contract, the other party is released of their obligations. But a covenant is, regardless of the other party's behaviors, I'm obligated to my part of the covenant because it's a covenant before God. When you make a covenant, when you say, especially in marriage, because it's the institution that God loves, all right, you are responsible to God to be main, remain faithful, not just to your spouse. So if your spouse violates faithfulness, that doesn't let you off the hook. Okay? And, 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 that's, an, and that's true of any relationship. If a friend, if a brother or sister, if a pastor or leader, they do something wrong, that doesn't release you of covenantal love because you make a covenant before God. And that's what Malachi is appealing to. <laughs> All right, everybody happy? <laughs> Wife of your youth, this harkens back, I believe, to the ideal of marriage. Everyone, you know, you fall in love. This is why you ask people when you first meet them, how did you fall in love? You know, uh, you know what led to your, when, when did you ask each other to marry? You know, and tell me the story. And every time you do it, but by the end of the conversation, they're, they're kind of teary and they're, they're laughing and giggling and telling some stories silly story from long ago because it rekindles the wife of your youth that that ideal that we wanted to Tyndall says that the threefold description of the wife as a wife of your youth as a partner uh, and as a wife by covenant serves to emphasize the closeness the intimacy the intimacy intimateness of the relationship between marriage partners and to make the treacherous behavior of the spouse when they are faithless even more repulsive or odious. Unfaithfulness in marriage is treacherous. It's a betrayal on a most uh, basic and brutal level. 
because it's the covenant, it's the promise that we make that is so intimate. When you stand before men and God and promise to love one another and be there for one another, but you violate that, wow, that's, that's deep. Now, there are exceptions in Scripture where divorce is allowable. Right? Also, it's important to remember, nowhere in Scripture is divorce called a sin. There is no exception for any sin in Scripture. And so if there is an exception for divorce, and Jesus is most clear as sexual immorality, but the Old Testament, there's teaching in Leviticus that says if, if a, a spouse does not provide and this goes back both ways, from both the wife and the husband, if they're not providing, and that's actually echoed in the New Testament as well, if they've estranged, if they abandon, uh, and also if there's abuse and neglect, these are exceptions where divorce is, unfortunately, at times, the only, the only way to move forward. And as a pastor, it's been uh, my displeasure to walk through that process with more people than I'd like to admit because they did everything they could, but the other spouse, the other person, the other partner was not willing to repent or come to terms, and there was a repetitive violation. <clears throat> so we understand that uh, God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorced people. Okay, it's really important to understand that. And that divorce is a, uh, it's, it's a violation and it's, it's, it's a violence. Okay, let me, uh, <clears throat> marriage meant to portray the faithfulness of God to mankind. That's what we read really explicitly in the New Testament, that marriage represents the relationship between Christ and the bride. It, it's meant to, to represent the faithfulness covenant of God and mankind when broken through faithlessness is a direct attack against God as creator and father. Okay? So lack of faithfulness on any level within a marriage is actually faithlessness toward our father in heaven because he sees that covenant of marriage as you walking out on a day-to-day -day basis, the covenant you have with him. And he's going to enforce it. So treat your spouse well, husbands and wives, because more than any other relationship, it represents how you treat God. Right? <clears throat> and rejecting your spouse is not just a rejection of them. It's a rejection of God. Again, unless there were circumstances that the spouse, and in those circumstances, you are clinging to your faithful covenant to God because your spouse, for whatever reason, has, is no longer serving God, but in many ways serving God a pagan god, or self, or the world. Does this make sense? Okay. Whew. 
Why'd you have me teach on this? <laughs> so God hates divorce, not divorce people, because divorce is violent. It's, it's tearing apart, it's rending asunder the two that have become one. Because in marriage, the two become one. Right? One flesh. Okay? So divorce is like taking a chainsaw and cutting a body in half, spiritually. All right? And even when all of the circumstances, all of the conditions for a legitimate divorce are met, in other words, the other partner in the marriage was wrong in every way and unrepentant after every attempt of reconciliation, and there's no other uh, recourse than divorce, it's still that violent and painful, and it takes years to recover from. Actually, you never recover from it. It's something that you carry with you. And I know this, uh, you know, because I've walked with so many different people. Um, And the prophet says, take heed to your spirit. Don't you realize that when you mistreat others, especially your spouse, you're actually wounding your own spirit? Okay, listen, it's a form of self-harm. That's a term we sh- you should be familiar with because it's, it's really epidemic in our culture right now. Self-harm is often, you know, teens do cutting. Maybe you, I've known, I've tried to help young people and, <clears throat> and other forms of self-harm. And when you violate others that you're in a covenant relationship with, you are violating yourself most. And so don't do that. And the prophet's saying, guys, don't do that. You're hurting yourself. Don't you see the connection? God is screaming at us through his word. Stop mistreating other people. Because when you do that, you hurt yourself. And I hate it when you hurt yourself. I hate the pain it brings to your children. I hate the pain it brings to the community. I hate the pain that it brings to himself, God. All right? Because he feels it a million times more. All right, moving on. <laughs> Dispute number four. Anybody ready to move on? Let's, let's pause for a minute. I guess it, remember, it's because marriage is such a blessed institution. Okay? When done right, it fulfills more than the, the idealization of naive youth. Okay? Really? So understand, you know, when when the Bible or when a pastor speaks harshly about a sin, don't forget it's because we're trying to protect what is precious, what is worth dying for. Okay? It is. For your sake, for your spouse's sake, for your the children, if you have them, or extended family's sake, for the community's sake, the faith community's sake, it's worth it. Enduring hardship because it's worth it. In the end, it's worth it. Because it's so good. All right, next one. Dispute number four. Right relationships. Uh, oh, there already went through that. Uh, right relationships with the community. Verse 17. If you have, or I'm sorry, you have wearied the Lord. <laughs> Don't you love it? 
He's basically saying, God's sick and tired of hearing you. <laughs> you don't expect that from a prophet, do you? Don't you wish, you know, pastors could just preach like the prophets? Prophets. Is <laughs> God sick and tired of you? <laughs> That's what it says. God's tired of you. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? <laughs> wow, what did we do? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of God and delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Behold, this is the promise we all cling to, but it's, you know, right there in the midst of a rebuke. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien or a foreigner or an immigrant, because they do not fear me, says the Lord. Wow. So this dispute powerfully and very forcefully confronts uh, uh, injustice that the Israelites were doing to others in their community. Having dealt with marriage, now he broadens, broadens it to the larger community. And it is a very harsh rebuke. <clears throat> People, uh, uh, and it's confronting not just Old Testament problems amongst the Israelites thousands of years ago. It's actually addressing prevailing human problems, all right, that never really go away until Jesus returns. And what I hope to do in this passage, as I explain it, is tie it into how it applies to us today, all right? And uh, bear with me. Um, People commit and endorse uh, evil, destruction, and behavior all the time. And claim that, you know, people are still accepted by God, regardless of their lifestyle choices. Have we heard that in our society today? But God loves them. Well, yeah. God loving someone is not an endorsement of their behavior. God loves everyone that will end up in eternal hell as much as he loves you or I or the saints that end up in heaven. Do you realize that? And he'll never stop loving them, even though he allows them to have the consequences of their choice and refuse his offer of salvation through faith in Jesus. It doesn't change his love. 
but it in no way endorses behavior that's destructive and a violation. <clears throat> well, how many times do we hear, you know, it's, it, how it says here, where is the God of justice? You know how we hear it today? If God is so good, how can he allow evil in the world? You know, it's the number one thing that, that non-believers say, well, if God was, if there is a God, how come there's so much evil? <laughs> The answer is, why do you call it evil? Unless you have a standard by which you're making a judgment that that's bad, and there must be something good. And do you know that the root of the English word good is God? And that God is all things good? And so the very question is evidence that there is a God. Because Everyone that I've ever met, regardless of their ethnicity, their religious background, their political affiliation, every human agrees there's something wrong with the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and God's saying, listen, this is it. You've rejected me. You've broken the covenant with me. And this is how to fix it. Come back into covenant with me through faith in my son, Jesus, who died on the cross to take the penalty of all of that covenant faithlessness. All right. So God allows evil to continue for a time in hopes that some people will come to repentance and salvation. And thank God he did it. He allowed it to last long enough for me to get saved. And he's allowing, he's forestalling his judgment long enough to give you the option to choose him. But if you don't choose him, it may happen in 20 minutes. Are you ready to face? <clears throat> because the Messiah will come with judgment as well as justice. I will send my messenger. He will prepare a way for, for me. That passage is talking about John the Baptist who's going to prepare the way, but also Jesus who is the messenger of the new covenant. And I love that it says <clears throat> that he will come to his temple. The Lord who you seek, Lord, will come to his temple. Do you realize that this is a very clear prophetic statement that the Messiah, Jesus, is God? Because the temple wasn't to the Messiah. The temple was to God. Does this make sense? Okay. So the question is, was, is Jesus divine? Absolutely. And he's coming with divine justice as well as redemption. And he will come suddenly. Um <clears throat> as both the refiner and the redeemer. There's six ways. going to go through this quick. Uh, give me a couple extra minutes, and I'll stop. Six ways the violation, <clears throat> these community uh, acts of faithlessness that he identifies actually still continue. And the first one, of course, we don't have a problem with this in America. Sorcery? I mean, come on. Is there, is there sorcery? You know, the word... Influencer and sorcerer, they almost sound alike, don't they? <laughs> Sorcery is appealing to power or knowledge that's not a, from God or approved by God. How often do we turn to media, politicians, celebrity, influencers, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and whatever else they come up with. And lives are shaped by that. 
There was, I gotta tell the story. <clears throat> a few years ago, it was like 10, 15 years ago, I took like three or four years off. I didn't watch any television, didn't go to any movies. Zero, zilch, not a minute of it. And then my kids wanted to see a movie. And they wanted me to come on to I can't remember the reasons, but I went to a movie, you know, sitting in this movie theater. And you know what I felt? I felt the hands of the person who produced that movie reaching into my brain and adjusting the way I thought. Right? Because they present situations and solutions in such a rapid, convincing way. That's sorcery! Okay? I, if you go to a movie, I, I watch movies now, I watch TV now, but I watch them guarded, okay? Because I know that there is an agenda. Nobody spends billions of dollars to create a movie without an agenda, okay? How about adultery? Well, he's referring, whenever the Bible refers to one type of sexual immorality, he's referring to every aspect. Because you don't want them to list every type of adultery every time, you know, every type of sexual misconduct every time it's mentioned. In the same way that if they mention stealing, they don't mention embezzlement, extortion. They don't mention every aspect of it, right? <clears throat> so is there a problem with sexual immorality in our culture today? Is there a problem in the church? What's Jesus going to do when he comes? You're going to burn that with fire. I, 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 I uh, strongly appeal to you to let the fire burn now. All right? So that when he comes, you're on his side. Perjury? Well, I never tell a lie, except maybe for that one. Right? Is anyone able to actually say we never twist the truth a little bit? No, we do it. We do it 24-7 in our own brain. But God is coming to change that. Sanctification is correcting that broken software in our brain that makes us change truth for our favor. Exploitation of laborers? We might think we're the victim of that. And you probably are. Because in my personal opinion... Business in the good old American institution of capitalism is about as corrupt as anyone can get. It just happens to be that we benefit from it. Right? It is obscene that in our country that has more money than any country has ever had, people go without food and health care. It's obscene. God's going to call us to judgment. Now, I'm not talking about how we solve the problem. I can't figure that out. But it's a problem. Anytime, uh, yeah, my example was we live in a country where you can abort a child for free, but to adopt an orphan costs thirty to $40,000. That is exploitation of orphans. It is. I have personal knowledge of it. Okay. Mistreatment of alien and foreigners. I've seen this firsthand, man. 
when I go to the refugee base in Mexico and I see these amazing people that have walked for years through tragedy and they're worshiping Jesus, okay? Uh, uh, and they can't, they can't get to the safety of this nation because of unfair politically and economically motivated policies. I don't know what the right policy should be. I'm not siding with any party because both of them are broken. But I'm telling you, this is something personally I grieve and I pray for. And I do what little I can to help those that are in that situation. So this is a list not of severe sins that the Lord will judge, but of prevailing sins that we all face. And God wants to, to rescue us now through sanctification and, and transformation so that we can spend eternity with him and others who also serve a God in faithfulness and not faithlessness. Pastor Bill. Oops, why is it going backwards? Thanks, Pastor Cameron. That's why I asked you to preach oh. on that. If you want to copy my notes, or is there. If you go to the next slide, there you go. That's what he's looking for. That's why I asked you to preach on that, because you did a terrific job. Thank you. Thank you. Go for it. All right, would you stand? We're going to respond for a moment before we wrap up today. Malachi, like our graphic for the series shows, is it brings a hammer and a chisel. But don't you want the junk broke off your life? Don't you want to experience the abundant good life that God promises? I do. I really do. Let's just pray into that for a moment, all right? Bow your heads if you would. Father God, help us to see, like we sung about all during the worship songs this morning, that you're beautiful, that this word is beautiful. Because what it's motivated from is your love for us, your faithfulness to us, and your call for us to return from faithlessness to faithfulness, to return from being astray, um, for chasing after other things, for making ourselves a God, worshiping other gods, to worshiping you with wholehearted devotion and enjoying the blessing of, of that relationship with you. You wait to bless us. You wait with eternal life if we'll accept it. So Lord, we take a moment right now not to call out the specks in the eyes of others, but to look at the plank in our own, to acknowledge it, to be convicted by your spirit, to respond and to receive freedom, wholeness, and life. And to be the kind of people who share that who shine brightly with that so that others are drawn to you as well. Lord, would you wash us clean? Would you refine us and make us pure and holy? Holy vessels that you can live in, that you can occupy, that you can bring your love to. Would you make our community one that shines brightly in the ways you've designed us to as a church family, as your body, as your bride, as your hands and feet on this earth. May we speak the truth in love just as you've spoken it to us this morning. Amen.